So, are you ready to conceive, carry, and deliver a healthy baby? Today, I'm your host, Inna Duckworth, with a podcast, Ready to Conceive, and I've got a really, really, really special guest, Louise Collier. And Louise, hand over to you. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, Inna. Thanks for having me on your podcast this morning. My name, as Inna said, is Louise Collier, and I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, but I do work remotely with a lot of people around the country with the herbal medicine side of things. My specialism is fertility, which is why you've obviously got me on here today, um, but with a particular interest in endometriosis. Well, yes, that's like really the, the big topic. And I would like to, to talk about that. How do you understand it? Where are you with that? Sort of what is your vision on that? Yeah, I mean, I think a decade ago when I started working with all gynae conditions and fertility, my understanding of endo back then was quite different to how I understand it now. When I was first practicing, it was definitely, it's the painful periods, um, pain through the cycle, really heavy bleeding, really clotty bleeding. And this was what I was working with. But with all the studies I've done on endo now, I understand that it's such um, an immune dysregulation as well. It's so inflammatory. The immune system is so dysregulated. And it's so, there's all these comorbidities with endo. So you don't just have really painful periods or someone might not have painful periods, but what they might have is a lot of digestive pain, a lot of, um, you know, intercycle pain and discomfort. So I, I'm a bit sweary and I often joke endo is a bit of a shit show in the body. That's true. Um, and it's just, it just affects women in so many ways, energy, um, ability to concentrate it affects their ability to work you know not just their ability to conceive um, mm -hmm. so yeah and, yes and obviously we do want to talk about uh, endometriosis infertility but just like sort of just reiterating on that same here when I was training uh, we were and it was just one of the things it's just like one of the things and I was to also privileged to be trained with somebody really really specializing in gynecology in my herbal uh, training which is a western training well you've got chinese training words so east west meets west but we've got loads of shared interest here as well so and again we didn't know that much as we know now about the immune component of endometriosis and the the more i look into that through the fertility lens the more i understand that as just as you said when somebody's got just uh, a lot of digestive pain digestive issues I remember very well, and I think I've already cited this on this podcast, I was listening to a gynecologist or gyne doctor who is doing the uh, ablation procedures and, you know, one of the DNCs and stuff, which we can talk about as well. Mm -hmm. What she was saying that when they open, depends what kind of operation they're doing, but she was saying that the amount of inflammation and swelling just uses around the area. So it literally is um, exchange in the tissue. Mm -hmm. driving or I mean you don't even know what starts first endometriosis or digestive or, or, or where where it comes from mm. that's really interesting here what do you think about endometriosis infertility how impactful is it is there a case because a lot of a lot of situations where people say oh yeah like when women go through um sort of your normal fertility assessment the endometriosis is just a box that has been ticked yeah not much it's like you know like uh what's your blood group this what's your this oh endometriosis uh, da, da, da. uh 
And so it just doesn't seem to have that much attention as we try to pay to it. So where are you with that? How do you think, how much impact does it give on fertility? I mean, there's the obvious um, way it impacts, isn't there, structurally? So some women have the issues where endometriosis has, not, not to use the word obliterated, but really damaged the pelvic cavity. And I know that one of my girls had, you know, her fallopian tube wrapped around the ovary and that was then attached to the bowel. She had like a 10 centimeter cyst on the other ovary that did have like a patent tube. And so strictly she just couldn't get pregnant. And it took a good surgeon who was able to repair all of this, you know, move things away, make the tubes patent again. And she then was then able to get pregnant. So that's the the structural side, isn't it, of endo? Mm-hmm. But what we, what I'm starting to see a lot, or I probably have been seeing for years, I just understand it so much more now, is that everything is okay structurally. Someone's been told they have endo, but structurally everything is fine. You know, the ovaries um, are clear of the, you know, those huge chocolate cysts. They don't necessarily have those. The tubes are patent, but they still can't get pregnant. So mm-hmm. this is the the impact that endo has on fertility is that's where it's the immune system, in, in my opinion. And when you have an immune system that is constantly in overdrive, trying to clear those lesions and trying to clear all of that inflammation yeah. being generated, then, well, it creates that inflammation, but it's this kind yeah. of cascade of things going on. Yes. Yes. Then, you know, eggs and sperm don't stand a chance, do they? So the yeah. eggs that are growing in that environment have been exposed to all of that inflammatory mm-hmm. damage any sperm that try and make their way into the uterus can just get kind of cleared off by the immune system. So you end up with what we kind of call immune factor infertility. Yeah. Yeah, sure yeah, yeah. You do a lot with as well. Anna. Yes. And also, um, yes, just to, to, just to think about the, the actual act of meeting of sperm and the uh, egg, apart from like if the egg has been developing in a pro-inflammatory condition, then we would say that its mitochondrial health is compromised. We don't know that for sure because yeah. you a special test for that, which, I mean, I, I like we don't test eggs basically at the moment. There's some very few research coming in and very few sort of, uh, as far as I know, very few labs sort of start offering testing eggs, you know, just like they do sperm tests. And then, of course, they can test the embryo. Yeah, but not the eggs. Usually, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what the point. But uh, the mitochondrial, um, you see, what here, like I always make this very simple comparison a girl and the like a woman and a man meets and they need a house. And in this case, endometriosis, your girl has been like living in a very like sort of pro inflammatory environment. We don't know what happened with the sperm, knowing that the sperm quality degrades because of environmental factors a lot. And now we know that the house is not really suitable kind of not in a very good state and all all three factors kind of meet together and don't it's not very helpful really the other thing here with end infertility I just wanted to touch upon that and kind of hear your opinion here is what we know more is um, lipopolysaccharides or changed um, bacterial environment so how Mm -hmm. do do you work with that do you know more about that yeah and and that's obviously why you and me like connected I think in it yeah yes you did with the work that I try and do with patients on the microbiome front, you know, now that we have this testing available for screening um, more of the microbiome, you know, patients will often say, I've been checked for chlamydia. I've been checked for, you know, all the standard things that the GP checks for. But 
it goes so much further than that, doesn't it? And we can yeah. screen for so much bacteria yeah. now um, that could be causing this low level inflammation as well. And yeah. you know, I think these microbiome tests are brilliant because it really helps us start to improve the fertility outlook. And, you know, I've had endometriosis patients where we found urea plasma. This seems to be a really yeah. common thing that's coming up on these yes. tests. Yes, 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 yes. And sometimes just by clearing the urea plasma. And it, it I was going to say, you know, even going into IVF, we found that the implantation rates are, are so much more successful when we've managed to kind of balance and restore the microbiome. Yes, it's exactly very important. And um, for example, what we understand now, for example, is the biofilm, which is literally a film. If you if you have ever seen um, like a um, like a petrol spilled on the on the water and it's this like shimmery film, that's exactly the sort of the film we're talking about on the top layer of the sort of um, our mucous membranes. Yeah. It means that good things can't get in and the bad things can't get out. Mm. The good things are hoped, like literally, literally robbed by the sort of this not so very healthy. They, they are bacteria. They, they like that's their life cycle, but they they are robbing the nutrients uh, of the not our cells to 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 be growing. And uroplasma is actually one of the really really unhappy ones. And this is where I would also say that it's really important to, to test the partner. So many times. Now, first of all, this I am really happy that we've got this microbiome tested. When I was training initially, we didn't have that luxury. So it was just sort of uh, maybe that, maybe that. We just were working with the clinical presentation, and I'm sure you did as well, and some other factors, which in TCM are amazing. And I'd like to know more about that uh, in a minute. But uh, here I'd like to say that the tests that we offer, functional medicine, uh, vaginal swab, and are slightly different or very different from the ones that GP normally offers because what GP still offers is a microscope. Literally, somebody is looking at a swab and if they see uh, like in a microscope, like something that looks round, that will be considered as equali, something that looks uh, elongated, it will be considered as that one and that one and that one. And so that's what's happened actually with equali in UTI um, situations for many years. There were a couple of bacteria that couldn't have been identified and they were all labeled as E. coli. But the tests that are available now, and after COVID, everyone knows what PCR is, everyone is looking for DNA presence and the amount of this DNA presence, which is a very different story because if somebody made a swab and in that very swab, they swapped somewhere where there's not so many of E. coli or other bacteria or ureplasma, just now in that swab, they will say it's all clear. But if you do um, this uh, genetic sequencing testing, then you can literally say what is there. What, 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 like you can be much more accurate, times more accurate with what is there. The other part of that is, of course, male testing. When you do, do you work, do you offer acupuncture to your male clients as well and the herbs? How does it work for you? So I, whenever a partner requests if I will work with her husband or her partner, yeah. I often joke that. If the person doesn't bleed, I don't know what I'm doing. And it's uh -huh. mainly because I haven't gone down the route of andrology. Okay. I'm so yes. interested in gynecology. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Andrology is, it's a whole subject in itself and you yeah. want that expertise. So yes. I often refer people to my business partner, Laura, because she's, you know, she, we consider her the andrologist in our group. Okay, cool. That's really good because I'm yet to build uh, some uh, 
better relations with andrologists um, where I am, and I'm in the south of England. And um, but what I am promoting is the awareness at the moment that if somebody comes and they've just done a swap and there is a rear plasma in the swap and some other guys which we want to um, sort of remove before uh, going further with either IVF or trying to conceive naturally, I'm always saying. Um, let's test the, the the male, and there are some parameters in the normal as normal uh, sperm test, which, for example, called agglutination. So, i.e., the sperm is a bit sticky, and if this parameter is slightly out of sort of slightly, and the doctor says there's no concern, but if you couple that with somebody who's had an unhappy uh, vaginal swap, this is where we need to look at, and also mm -hmm. look at like a blood test in male. No, um, I'm just. This is not for me to say I'm treating that, that I'm saying that if I see a blood test of a male partner with some uh, immune dysregulation in the blood test and some parameters and agglutination, this will be a reinforcing factor to tell them we really need to test your partner to yeah. help with that. And definitely when we get urea plasma coming up on test, we usually advocate yes. fertility, don't we? Yeah, get yeah, yeah. Treated. Yeah. Um, no, and yeah, most likely that's also very important that I don't know, like with urea plasma, I would always recommend that they uh, speak to their consultant, fertility consultant, and have maybe a round of antibiotics of appropriate um, appropriate type and appropriate dosage. And uh, so that we know that that has been covered it. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about it? Do you, or what, what's your position? Yeah, whenever I've got a patient who is on in the fertility um, clinic setting, I use and we find your plasma. I say speak to the consultant because the best yeah. way that we can get rid of this quickly is with yeah. antibiotics. You know, yeah. to go down the natural route can take longer. So it's easier for those women who are in with a private consultant yeah. because he'll often um, prescribe or she will yeah. often prescribe. It's more challenging, isn't it, when we get women who aren't in the clinical setting yeah. because yeah. the GP isn't going to prescribe the appropriate yeah. antibiotics because they don't recognize. Urea yes, that, that's really yes. Urea plasma. That's also interesting. It's interesting how we went to urea plasma today. But <laughs> I was listening to like a really good lecture on that recently, and I kept thinking about it because it was considered to be a commensal. People will say, "Oh, it's just normal. It just lives there." It, yes, if it it does live there, but for fertility situation, especially when everything else is challenging and like it's uh, literally this precious. Uh, egg or precious embryo and we're just trying to give this chance really like for those who haven't been able to get pregnant before and we don't want to risk anything really yeah 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 I, I'm I don't know how you feel about it but I'm quite a stickler for testing but um in that way and I remember listening to one of the experts in the area in fertility and they were saying we're looking for healing opportunities and I really loved it how do you feel about sort of your approach to fertility work? It's a lot. We use the words like harmonization in Chinese yes. medicine, balance. Yes. And we're always trying to move people into a state of things have become more balanced. The body is in a better state for conception. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so whether that is more Western terms like the microbiome, um, or we're thinking about the quality of the lining, aren't we? Yeah. Ripe for implantation. We yeah. often use these analogies like we want the soil to be fertile. Yes, for yes, planting. Yes, yes. Um, so it's a lot to do with we're trying to move the body into balance and then it's going to be in a state for conception. 
That's a very good, uh, very good point you mentioned. And I've got my next question, but let me just make a very quick point here. Somebody, um, I always offer um, introductory sessions with fertility and probably you do will ask you about that as well, tell us how you work. Uh, and somebody has said, oh, I've got an like, unhappy microbiome. Can you please help me remove it all? And <laughs> I thought, okay, I really, um, and I tried to use this and maybe it wasn't very efficient, but I did. And I said, look, it's not a pest control. Think of me as a garden garden designer that helps you tender to your garden. You know, we can look at soil, because just as you said, because it's literally is the, what has changed in microbiome in recent years is that we are less eradicating and more balancing. Because mm -hmm. the problem with eradicating anything is that the weeds grow first. I mean, as a herbalist, I love my weeds. So, but uh, in this in this setting, we need a specific type of lactobacilli to regrow because then those lactobacilli will prevent the sort of less fortuitous kind of other bacteria grow. That's what we need. And um, if you want to add anything, else, please do. Otherwise, I've got a question. Um. In terms of the, we like restoring the microbiome. Yes, yes, restoring the microbiome. Yeah, and this is why we talk a lot now about prebiotics, isn't it? For yes. so long, it was about, you know, let's put in these additional probiotics that eventually yes. go through your system anyway. Yes. And what I try and explain to patients, don't get so hung up on, on probiotics. They can be so beneficial. Yes. We do need them for restoring the microbiome if you've had a, um, a course of um, antibiotics, definitely. Yeah. But what we need to do is try and build your own bacteria back back up with the prebiotic yeah. approach. So yeah. what we want the populations that you've already got there, they might be small, but we're trying to feed them and bring them back to life yeah. in the way that, you know, with the, like the garden analogy, we're working yeah. with what's there and we're trying to restore it as much as possible. We don't want to clear a microbiome because then there'd be nothing yeah. and we know so much that bacteria is so important for health anyway. So, yes, it's it's exactly the point. Um, and I wanted to say that we also know something about nutrigenomics now, which is we know that some people are if you they've got a special type of gene called FUT, and some people have got a, a, like a modification of this gene which makes them retaining microbiome better than the others. And so that also is important. I mean, it's not my primary uh, sort of consideration in this setting, but for like a wider health context, you can have a look at all these gene parameters and find out how they would work. Now, my, my, my main most important questions for me, I would like, I love, to, uh, I love um, Chinese philosophy and I love the five element philosophy and the beautiful alchemy of the seasons moving through the body. I'm absolutely... Uh, in love with that and um so can you just give us a bit more of this clues how does the philosophy season endometriosis and like fertility whatever of course you yeah because i love this yeah. subject so yes yes um i think what i really love with chinese medicine is the way that it kind of differentiates endometriosis so you know the western label of endo is 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 that it you know it's endo but in chinese medicine they, you know, they didn't have the label endometriosis for so long. Um, but what they did was they looked at almost six different patterns for and the way that endo presents in women. So it might be what we would call a chi and blood st stagnation pattern. It might be a cold stasis pattern. It might be a heat, um, blood stasis caused by heat. We can have these 
um, mixed patterns of kidney deficiency leading to stagnation. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about phlegm and damp as well with Chinese medicine. And this is really interesting with endo because when a woman has surgery, sometimes she might be told by the consultant that, you know, there's a different color to the, the lesions. Some of them are pigmented, some of them are non-pigmented. And so, you know, are they like a bloody mass or are they white? Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes the white ones that are giving off what we would say this kind of phlegm and damp. Um, mm-hmm. We might see that in the tubes as well, this kind of stickiness mm-hmm. that's causing mm-hmm. the immune response. So mm-hmm. and we look at this often with the, the body. So in Chinese medicine, we always get people to show them, um, show us their yeah. tongue. Yeah, and that really helps us to see have we got any kind of sticky white coating there have we got yellow coating and the yellow shows us the heat so or or what we would say damp heat so then we know we need to use herbs that are all about clearing and draining that um that damp heat or do we see kind of a bluish color on the tongue is there cold in the body therefore do we need to you know warm people up and we do find with um People with endometriosis, often they're really cold. That seems to be a real underlining line pathology that we would say in Chinese medicine. And we've got to warm them up. We've got to strengthen their kidney. So we kind of break things at a really simple base. We break things into yin or yang. Is the person yin deficient? Are they yang deficient? Mm -hmm. And most endometriosis people are yang deficient. It's like the the yang is the driving force that would be able to like clear the the debris, you know, that kind of retrograde blood that they talk about that most women would be able to clear, but women with endometriosis aren't as effective at clearing that um, retrograde flow. And that's like a kidney yang deficiency. Mm -hmm. So we look at the the yin, we look at the yang, we look at the chi and the blood. Mm-hmm. Is the chi stuck and is that creating, causing the blood? For those who don't know what chi is, can you just explain a little bit? So say it's somebody who wants to come and see you and they want to know what chi is. Why yeah. And it is a word we use a lot. Which yeah, I, I know. I, know. I, love, I love it. I mean, and I chi and jing and all of that. Yes, it's very yeah, good. The life essence. We call it chi yeah. is like the, the life force. So, yeah. you know, a really way to understand it is if somebody dies, they still have blood in their body. Yeah. but the chi has stopped there is no chi or life force and it's the yeah. chi that drives the blood it's the chi that warms our body you know mm-hmm. we often on my form i've got a box tick like do you get a cold nose and so yeah. many women tick this like oh no one's ever asked me if i get a cold nose before yeah. but yes i do and yeah. we we call it's like the chi that needs to rise up and warm the body so often women with endo or people with endo might have kidney yang deficiency and spleen chi deficiency so the can you explain to us what's king uh, what's uh, um, kidney yang deficiency what's the role of kidney from chinese medicine in fertility care it's so important in fertility because it's what all embryology grows out of so we've got the kidney yin the kidney yang and the kidney jing and mm-hmm all of life will grow out of that that kidney essence so we use um the kidney energy so much in both acupuncture and with the herbs the herbs that can be directed um to support kidney yang we tend to think of kidney yin as being the older we get the more depleted we get in our in our yin base mm-hmm. um but yeah the kidney yang is about you know women often say they feel cold all the time they have cold limbs um 
the they get that um you know that back pain that is better for heat the period pain that is better for heat and all of these you're like oh tick tick this is all kidney yang deficiency and for those to link it with what we already know from physiology is that obviously uh, kidney is uh, got the adrenals and uh, the Chinese medicine doesn't separate kidney from adrenals in that way. We're talking about philosophical concept of kidney as a like a archetypal sort of um, physiology descriptor, what it is. And for example, kidney is also linked with ancestral energy, as we call it, sort of it's your sort of genetic base, if you like, in, as far as I understand from that. And we know, for example, that when woman goes through a menopause, she moves to adrenal hormones as opposed to uh, sex hormones. And this is also this transition where you're now being fed from kidney. And that's what you're saying, kidney yin depletion, because now we have to rely on kidney. And that all means that the less stressed you are, in better position you are through your life cycle or all life cycle, and particularly for fertility. So that's how this yin king kidney young deficiency. Would you say it can be linked with us trying to do too much socially, and that's why we depleted in kidney young? Would you say that? Yeah, there's there's there? definitely that element where we would ask um, our patients. You know, are they trying to burn the candle at both ends? Are they stretching yeah. themselves so thin? Are they working all the hours of the day, but then still trying to maintain a social life? Try, yeah. and you probably see it a lot. You know that women are trying to maintain this exercise regime as well. So yes, yes, they might yes, be going yes. to the gym four times a week. And you just think your poor body just it doesn't have enough reserves for pregnancy. I love Dutch test. Okay, absolutely love Dutch test. And uh, Dutch is a dry urine uh, comprehensive hormonal testing, and which I I use it a lot. I use it with every fertility patient and non fertility as well. So recently I had this very beautiful, uh, very beautiful patient, and we literally saw how. They get up and start exercising and there's this thing called cortisol awakening response and you can see there's literally like and there's also got we've got cortisol is our um sort of one of the hormones that kind of we it kind of it's got several roles and one of them is actually moving us going us and then it's also using um got a role in um, inflammation but it's everything everything is moderation and you can see how this person has got a stock of this cortisol and they start exercising and they literally, the stock of this cortisone, uh, inactive form of cortisol moves and gets active and then they crash. So yeah. too much, too much. I can literally show, show like one, one graph goes up, the other graph goes down and I'm saying, you see, you're just borrowing your energy. You can't do that that much. You need to rest. Yeah, it's just uh, unbelievable how we underestimate the value of rest. No. Exactly. And, the, and this is something that, so the, one of my mentors, um, Randine Lewis, so she's a practitioner yeah. in America, and she talks about how our patient base, it will be the same for you, you know, that it's often women who are used to, yeah. they know what they need to get done in life. Yeah. You know, If they need to get that job, they know what they need to do to work yeah. for, with the interview. If they want to, you know get that qualification they work hard for that they want yeah. to win that race or do that marathon they train for that and they're so used yeah. to just working so hard for what um they want and striving yeah. but pregnancy is this completely different state of receptivity you know we need to receive the pregnancy we yeah. almost can't strive for it in a way that we strive for all the other things that we do in life 
And she talks about this yin and yang energy that when we apply that yang energy to trying to get pregnant, this is where it all like, it all goes no, to shit. <laughs> yes. I've I saved so much. And the first thing when I hear some, I'm unfortunately, um, and I'm glad you were talking about that because that's something probably best heard like in a third person rather than somebody in front of you. So often when I hear, can we do it quickly? Can we do it quickly, please? I'm saying yes, three months, and then I'd like to retest the microbiome at least. Because if if uh, like if it's microbiome, I say I'd like to retest it. I don't want you to go back to IVF clinic until we know that this thing has been worked at properly. And then how long does it test? Another 20 days or whatever days it takes to, to, to get the result of the test. Some some test longer, for example. And no, that's too long. And I, when I hear this, that's just like, um, I'm just like gently trying to invite into that receptivity state that um, you need to start like creating this space, you know, for this, you know. It's like the seasons, right? We can't have yes, spring yes, now. Yes. We have to kind of go through the winter and we have to yes. go through that period of things dying off to like rebuild yes. again yeah 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 I absolutely love Laurie Dechar I don't know do you do you read did you read some of your books Laurie Dechar the alchemy of seasons it's amazing how she describes the the winter and how at this very very bottom of winter winter is often also compared to like the sort of I don't know death season isn't it and then when she describes that you're going down, down, down to this very, very depths. And there in Chinese mythology, there's this uh, goddess where you meet the goddess that uh, of, of rebirth. And this is where the, the kind of the process of rebirthing begins to then manifest in spring and goes. Yes, with... we call it ultimate yin. Yeah. When, like yes. summer, the height of summer is like the ultimate yang. Yes. And from yin, yang is born, right? So. Yes, yes it's. Yeah, so that's. Um, um, there is, and I absolutely love the way you describe the patterns in endometriosis. We do the same in, um, if you see a herbalist, a well-trained uh, Western herbalist, we do recognize the cold and the heat and the stagnation. We do recognize all the tissues of the state tissues. And I absolutely love how you describe this. Like, for example, if there's a lot of blood, that's one story. If there's a lot of white um, kind of tissue, that's a very different story. And I think this is where we can with the newer bio, biomedical knowledge, we can so enrich all this ancient knowledge that has been kind of brought brought through traditions. Mm -hmm. And the difference in treatment is also, it is very different how you deal with somebody who's too hot versus somebody who's cold. And we recognize it as well in Western herbal traditions. And like bringing more blood, for example, if somebody like literally deficient it's a one story versus uh, somebody who's got who needs to clear the clear the heat clear clear um, clear blood really with that uh, and we do that through liver support and this is where your uh, what you eat and how you eat it and all of that comes back to play do you do a lot of um, nutrition coaching like talking about how to eat what to eat do you apply Chinese principle to food as well just if you touch upon that Inna, can we pause for one minute? I've got someone yes. on the door. Yes, okay. And we are back. And my question to Louise is, um, how, do you do a lot of uh, food coaching about eating patterns, about do you use Chinese uh, science here? How do you approach that? 
So as I mentioned, we find that so many women are on the cold side with endometriosis. I've got a few hot ones, but um, I generally find it's, it's on the cold side. And I talk to them a lot about the Western diet because we know so many people in Britain and America wake up in the morning and the first thing they'll put in their body is something cold, um, cereal and milk, um, or sometimes they even just skip, you know, altogether because they're too busy. Um, and what I try and teach them is from a Chinese medicine um, approach, we want to warm the body up. So the first thing that we put in our body in the morning, we want that to be a warm meal, a warm breakfast. Yes. So I definitely coach around kind of the energetics of the food, you know, try and warm up your diet with the temperature of the food, try and maybe stay away from the foods that exacerbate a damp picture. So if someone is really damp, like I mentioned, we might say, try and limit some of the dairy in your diet. And we know that dairy can be problematic for endo in some people you know it can be full of hormones which yeah. in in some women is it just inflames the, you know the issue so we might say you know if you're going to have dairy in your diet I always say if you're going to have milk have it warm don't have it cold because damp cold dairy is one of the things which is going to exacerbate that kidney yang and that spleen yeah. deficiency yes 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 absolutely and then there's a there's all the things that we might think of for endometriosis, you know, like the limiting gluten, because sometimes just taking that out of the diet for a bit can give the body a real rest. You probably, you know, recommend the same with your... Yes, I think I, I do. I do recommend that. And I like, I like, I am a big fan of dairy, like taste-wise. And I know that. And I know why people are so keen on dairy and gluten, because if probably you know that as well, um, that both dairy and gluten has got a molecule. In one case, it's called caseomorphine. Mm -hmm. It's called yeah. luteomorphine. And the morphine is morphine. It's yeah. uh, morphine. Addictive property. It's our, it's our uh, yeah, so it's basically feel-good state. And uh, I absolutely love cheese, I'm sorry. And, cheese uh, pizza, uh, right? Cheese on bread. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. With some tomatoes. <laughs> Yes, if somebody does it, I mean, perfect storm, of course. Um, in that case, look, I understand. I, I'm on that same, I mean, I am in that same space. I understand it. However, uh, I like somebody mentioned it in the way that use dairy as a condiment. Don't make it your own, your main. Bearingly, yeah. um, mm -hmm. look into that. Obviously, we can test, okay? We can test. The nutrigenomic allows us to test whether you have genes to digest dairy, like, the type of your genetic make that allows you to be more gluten uh, kind of friendly, more dairy friendly. But again, we're talking about a bigger picture here, just as you said, that the dairy can be full of hormones. And uh, um, so basically with dairy, what I'm saying, if you totally, if it's a must, it's total must for you and you kind of can't move away from that. Well, um, I would say really look for some local organic farm and get some yogurt. Just, but again, use it as a condiment, not as your mm -hmm. everything. And um, second, same with gluten. I loved one one of the experts I learned from. She had a really unhappy estrogen situation where she was invited to consider some uh, gynae operations. And uh, when she learned that, she said, I ate broccoli like it was my job. <laughs> and I came back to the gynae and they thought well they were very surprised to see the change so I am sorry here my approach to um, fertility is 
how much are you committed really like if you're really committed to to get that that's i mean there is a commitment coming from this uh, sort of over office type commitment you know like just just like we've discussed that i i like a type personality daddy 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 now i want a child um that's not that type of commitment that's a commitment to reassess how you want to live your life if you like you know and this child yeah kind of a different level of commitment that to get this child i really want to be as healthy as possible and this is different commitment and i want to create this space where i'm comfortable my partner is comfortable my child is comfortable we are all comfortable maybe not we're happy about it you know so mm -hmm. this is how i see it as well do you pursue do you pursue chinese clock for food how do you do you feel about it in terms of like the times of day to eat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so funny you should ask. I'll show you. I've got this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is my mouse mat in a okay. I love it. I have so, to um yeah, for people who are listening on the podcast, um, this mouse mat is a Chinese clock. So it says that, and I do actually talk to people about, you know, it's really good to be in bed for 11 o'clock because the liver is doing its work, you know, between yeah we say like 11 and one, and we yeah. want the, we want the body to be asleep almost by that point so that the liver can do its job more easily yeah. for detoxification. And, you know, the stomach is active between 7am, 9am. So we say it's really good to have your breakfast by 9am. And I think Western um, nutrition probably has a similar recommendation. You know, we want good kind of um, gaps between eating, give the body time to rest and digest. Mm -hmm. um, and I often, and this is an, another reason why I don't often recommend intermittent fasting for a lot of my patients, because it puts mm -hmm. on an additional stress, which mm -hmm. for some people who are in the fertility space trying to get pregnant, we just want to life in moderation. We just want everything to be yeah. as kind of um, yeah. homeostatic as possible. Yeah, harmonious. Yes. And when you talk about intermittent fasting, what's your vision on hours for intermittent fasting? So what's your kind of, if you were to recommend it to some other patients, what would you say? Yeah, I know a very common recommendation is the um, the eight sixteen. Okay, but I find sometimes that could be just yeah. too too severe for a lot of people. Yeah, so yeah. I often say, look, if you can maybe eat your dinner by six pm, um, then when you wake up in the morning, try and eat by nine, maybe earlier, and I think that leads to more of a fourteen. Uh, they did research actually. 10. 14 14 10 yes they did mm -hmm. they said that 14 10 and 12 12 are most uh, beneficial longer term i mean I, I wouldn't probably argue some conditions probably would warrant uh, um the more strict regimes but i'm generally sort of if they do 12 12 i'll be happy i mean yeah. I'm, there's a further situations but as i i absolutely love the way you speak about this harmonization because uh Babies come when there's abundance. Mm -hmm. there's, there's abundance. There's this generosity of everything, you know, generosity of kind of, I've got enough food, I've got enough sleep, mm -hmm. I've got time, I, I'm enough, you know, I'm like, or even I'm abundant. The body has reserves. It has, it has reserves. Mm -hmm. it, it, yes, exactly. Unfortunately, I don't know, maybe I'm such a romantic person in this way. I believe that in the previous times, maybe not everywhere, but I believe that the wider families 
and the wider communities were supporting younger women and younger couples so that they can have this uh, sort of luxury of abundance to create these babies where at the moment sort of the families are very nuclear it's just uh, you your partner and your kids basically and the, like sort of this kind of thing you don't get a lot of support a lot like so we got to create it some like almost mimic it if you like mm -hmm. yeah. yes i love this um as you say about abundance um anything else you'd like to say about the way you work and um like maybe tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you how you work with fertility work sort of work with fertility work yeah so obviously i realized with acupuncture that i can only really yeah. look after people yeah. in the northeast and yes. um what i found with herbs was and with um the functional medicine training that i did yeah. with yeah. aviva rom i found that i was able to offer um, endometriosis mm -hmm. support to people outside of my region who didn't have to travel to clinic and this is the beauty of the pandemic isn't it that yes. this online way of working has become so much more normalized yeah. now yeah. and I often look after the patients of other people's um other people so acupuncturists might send their patients to me for herbs just yeah. as we send our patients to you for you know yes. the, um, the stuff that you can do um with the pessaries Yes, I do a lot of that. Yes. Yeah. I um, so I run something called the Endo Fertility Solution, which is an online program for people with endometriosis trying to get pregnant. And it's about a six month program because, as you say, you know, the first three months is all about trying to clear, trying to mend, trying to repair. And we talk a lot about the egg cycle in Chinese medicine, yeah, just as yeah. you probably do as well, which yeah. is about four months long. So I find that. Yeah. How does it, what Jenny say about the egg cycle? What do they say? Well, I think it's this, this, they just talk about the, like really creating the foundations, you know, yeah. we're looking at the yin base, we're building really good, strong eggs. Yeah. I think, I think it's, discussed in a very similar way to okay. you know, oh, I'd love to hear some beautiful language. like the moon and the dragon and this and yeah. the, oh I <laughs> think because I practice TCM like traditional Chinese medicine it doesn't really incorporate so much of the you know like the five element language yeah because uh, actually, I'm trained in five elements yeah energy work attached so that's why I'm so flowery and all of this and, and I do love it I think yeah, sometimes I I'm more clinical in my language with them um, yeah Chinese medicine yeah but look we need we need to provide people with reassurance that we know what we're doing and having this functional stuff and the functional medicine stuff and testing in place it just gives us a scaffold to deliver what needs to happen yeah I often only go down the TCM language when someone feels like yes. when I've really got to know them and they know that I've got my foot in the Western yeah. camp. Yes, yes, yes. But I can also help you understand like the analogy and the metaphors of Chinese medicine. I think that actually differentiates us from many other practitioners that we are trained, properly trained, and we're safe. We know what we're doing. Uh, we know what it, how it actually looks like a microscope or what it looks like this way or the other way. But we also have got this luxury and privilege of knowing this extra bit, which kind of, makes your explanations more sound you know and you know that it's not just it's like a gp they don't have to explain all everything they've seen in the in the blood blood work mm. they just tell you this kind of synopsis the snippets of it so we can do that but talking to each other we can explore it in a bigger way and yeah just, that exists we also do that mm -hmm. 
And so I'll, I'll back to your six-month program. Uh, first three months are clearing sort of areas and the building foundation for the egg. That's okay. right, yeah. So we've um, I've split the program into these like three phases that are called reset, restore, reclaim. So we're okay. resetting the body. We're trying to clear, clear the decks, um, really try and bring all of that inflammation down and do some reparation work with the, the gut. Mm-hmm. And then the the restore phase is where we're then starting to build on the cycle. So I start to look at the cycle a bit more and I start to think, how can we start to optimize things to like to move towards fertility? Yeah. And then the reclaim phase is, is all about reaping the rewards of what yes. we've done with um, reset and restore. You know, you're, all of that work we've done with um, supporting the journey of the egg cycle reducing all the inflammation usually means those months four five six that's where we find we've got the most opportunity for a natural conception yeah yeah do you have a lot of that that people really conceive naturally and uh yeah i think it does tend to be a mix there's there's a lot of people where we do have almost that surprise pregnancy where we're like brilliant we did get there we got there we didn't have to go down the ivf route and that obviously is wonderful yeah. I do find sometimes IVF is just needed for yeah. whatever reason. And if yeah. it's a structural issue, yeah. and we find that the consultants are almost reluctant to do um, surgery, aren't they, for endometriosis? Yeah. They might just say, if you want to get pregnant, let's just let's just go down that line and we'll worry yeah. about surgery later, which I feel mixed about that because I think yeah. in some respects it might really help calm the immune response if we were to yes. try and extract yeah. all of those lesions. And yes, 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 that's also the case. And I think that this is just like everywhere else. We need the really good, good specialists, you know. So, yeah. the, for example, um, yes, I was talking to a consultant and they were saying that somebody who did this procedure before, they were not thinking about future pregnancies. They didn't really leave this space where the embryo can implant, you know, after all the scars, mm-hmm. you know, all of that left there. And it's like, well... You know, I think that the percentage of natural pregnancies for in cases that come to us, like fertility specialists, um, is lower, I think, because by the time people come, they're already in a state where they might not have so much time, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, like some of the people I've, uh, I see are like, they've been trying for eight years. First four, they tried naturally. Then four years, they were just going from IVF to IVF without any, uh, like saving up money, going to IVF, saving up money, going to IVF. So there was no, so this eight years is really the, the, the precious time. You know, what I'm, I don't know, I'd like you to say about that, but just if you would, I think that if you've tried for a year and it doesn't quite happen, seek help. And this is where, like, say you're in your early 30s, 33, 35, and you think, maybe we want to have children we've tried for a bit doesn't work seek help we can be helpful so much more so what's your absolutely i mean a lot of my patients come to me after they've had numerous failed rounds of ivf because it's only then that they've started looking Mm -hmm. what can i do to help this process you know they've maybe tried to conceive for two years it hasn't worked then they end up down the ivf route and then they have a failed round maybe another fail round and it's only at that point they think is there anything I could be doing here that could, you know, help the process? Then they end up in my clinic or online with me. And then it's it's sad, isn't it? Because their eyes are suddenly open to all the things that they maybe could have been doing yeah. and all the ways we could have been improving 
everything, you know, the, the period health, um, their general health, have, just having an advocate in the fertility space where we can always suggest, have you tried asking the consultant about this? Has anyone checked yeah. your thyroid? And you yes. realize that in the NHS system, so much just goes missed. Yes, uh, yes. sometimes thyroid is so important. Oh my God, it's just like, yeah. And it's so, up here in the Northeast, it's almost just neglected here. Um, oh. There's one what does IVF it do? Why, why, why is it this? Is it salt or what is it? There's one IVF clinic that refuses to test for it and wouldn't mm -hmm. even dream of medicating if they found mm -hmm. that you know it was elevated. There's another clinic that I love, which it's is it, it's one of our better clinics, but they refuse to treat the thyroid until there's been two failed transfers or two miscarriages, um, which is false economy because then when they do medicate it, that's often when someone conceives yes, naturally. But what about trauma? I mean, this is something I'd like to ask you as well. Like, um, do you, when somebody's had, well, first of all, I don't think waiting for two failed pregnancies is um, should be the case. It's cruel. It's, I think it's just too cruel. Uh, the amount of women just crying from failed uh, implantation is just, uh, and let alone if it was further down the line and there was this hope and everything and the heartbeat and, and the fail, it just... Um, I mean, when I was pregnant with my daughter and we went for a first scan at nine weeks, I think, and they let me hear her heartbeat. I was so, I am still emotional. She's 10 years old. I'm still emotional about this heartbeat. And I just can't imagine. I remember that moment. What it is for women to know that there was a heartbeat and miss this after that. So I do think it's cruel. Anyway, sorry for being that emotional. How do you approach if somebody's coming and they had all this... Um, yeah, uh, traumatic experience before uh, seeing you for uh, fertility. Well, you've got you've just got to hold them in the space where they yeah. feel able to talk about it. To let you know, there's always tears in my treatment room. Yeah, and I'm yeah, saying that's what yeah. this space is for, yeah. because they're almost not allowed to let those tears out with the, the NHS medics that you know yeah. they're repeatedly coming into contact with. And do you find acupuncture, you do specific acupuncture for emotional support or is it just part of the bigger treatment? And how Yeah, I find it's all part of the bigger treatment that, yeah. you know, when I'm when I'm looking after the person, whether it, I'm trying to think about what's going on with their uterus or what's going on yeah. with their, the body, yeah. I'm also thinking what's going on with their mood. And there is this connection yeah. with endometriosis. And yes. if we can calm the mind, it can help the person almost manage you know the pain of day one day two yeah. better i know somebody i'm not looking after them they live in manchester but um i was so happy to hear that they said that they've now been seen an acupuncturist and a herbalist um and um they prioritize and they have been pain-free for a year with endometriosis it's the fertility is not at the moment their consideration but uh they saying i swear by it uh, this is my priority they kind of this is how I structure my budget. First, I see my, yeah. my herbalist and then my hairdresser, if you like. And I was very happy to hear that because uh, that's probably the prioritization some women need if they've got something like endometriosis. But the first is care is, comes in place. Yeah. And as you said, there's so much that can be done with women. Yes, to absolutely. Not just improve oh. their quality, but improve their life quality with their... Yes. With their cycles and natural yes. medicine just has so much to offer doesn't it that yes um we we talk about western medicine being like a sledgehammer it's coming in with its sledgehammer yes. and it's yeah. derailing things um yes. with the strength of those drugs 
whereas the natural medicine tries to move the body back into being able to do the job itself it's not about trying to control it it's about trying to enable it to do it itself yes and that's more important that also what i find is that if uh, we've done good work and then after pregnancy recovery is better and uh, all the other kind of post-pregnancy questions which Sort of outside of fertility scope when somebody wants to get yeah. to get pregnant but then once you had a baby you're like oh i've got all of this to deal with now exactly <laughs> all of that when you when the body is in a better state it enables to do this work much much better and you must find people have such a better pregnancy when we've put the prep work in before pregnancy when they're able to conceive naturally the the first trimester can often be so much easier Yes, that's exactly the point, because with the first trimester, it's your immune system in the first trimester is going through such a, a battle, you know, a, it's a massive battle, which is not even discussed. All right. We can touch upon that for a second. Just get, so basically the tolerance, the word tolerance comes from exactly this process that your fetus is foreign body to you because it's Absolutely. good of somebody else's dna and your body has to restructure everything pretty much to kind of uh what we call a shift from immune system shift to th1 immune system th2 to, yeah to, to 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 allow it to allow this new body to grow within you all right if we've done the prep and you're in a good space especially like immune health liver health blood production you're not anemic you're mm-hmm your much better space and if you have some emotional support as well it just makes all the difference you know really yeah. all the difference for that and um especially with all the uh hormonal dysregulations that we've got we have got so many sort of hormonally driven conditions which then kind of surface in pregnancy for example if somebody had polycystic ovaries which would be linked with insulin resistance and um or just insulin resistance from like being sort of uh, in sort of further down, like 35 plus fertility, or almost, or we, almost all of us, we've got insulin resistance unless we manage it because of the Western diet and all of that attached. And that kind of creates a uh, pressure of potential diabetes of pregnancy. So the, if you have done this work before and you are eating nicely and you your body is heavy, there's less chance for you to have that or other complications linked with liver problems and with high estrogens and pregnancy. Again, you can just, it can make all the difference, all this preparation you've done before. Mm-hmm. So yes, I mean, I'm drumming our all, uh, I'm kind of blowing our all trumpets here. So. But look, if somebody is on this podcast, they're probably interested in this work. You know, this, this is something they're looking into. Okay, what else can I do? How can I prepare myself? And that's why it's called ready to conceive, because this is my dream that like I know that when we were trying, when we were learning five element in the course that I did, and we were told that it was norm that every quarter, every well, sort of every sort of three months ish, the change of the season, people will go to see their Chinese practitioner that will do the pulse checks or do the check and they'll help them transition from season to season. And this is how the life is kind of sustained you know of course it's a dream come true but uh, you know what my point is get this help if even when you think of conception maybe you've got no problems whatsoever just come and have a check-in you know or just do some like preparation that will enable both you and your partner to create this the healthiest baby possible mm-hmm. Think about it 
So um, so you do the work online and it's six months. I'm coming back. I'm trying to get it properly. <laughs> so it's a six months work. What if somebody says to you, I've got IVF next week, or next month, would you do something for them? Usually I would say there's almost no point taking me on at this at this stage in your journey yeah. um and i've said to people look if you're about to because people get in touch don't they and say i've got egg collection next week or in 10 days time um so can i can i get started um and i say look see how this round goes if this doesn't work then come to me and let me put the groundwork in because it's for, there's there's no point starting something this late in the game for a round of ivf which is almost you know been and gone because it's the prep it's it's the prep, isn't it? That is so important. It's all about the preparation. Yes, and especially like I know you don't work with males, but I do work with male partners up to a point, at least in supporting what can be done naturally. But yes, I do want a urologist involved though with some andrology support as well. Uh, however, what we've learned is that some of the microbiome bacteria they are with both the partner and the uh, both partners. For example, um, one of them, which is. Um, Enterococcus fecalis, for example, what it does is also considered to be like harmless, but what it does, it impairs the quality of sperm. It affects the future immunological function of the spermatozoa. The, the modern research tells us that. So basically, what's especially if somebody comes and they've got just the um, Enterococcus fecalis in the swab, I'm saying, and they're telling me that. We've got an embryo ready. We're having a transfer next week. Can you help something? And I'm like, okay, but I know that there is a really some risks that this embryo is not in the, the sperm is not in the very best state. Mm -hmm. Went in there, and we know that um, you know there's like other parameters. Probably you know how do you know about that? Um, that if the embryo fails after three days, that's where the sperm quality wasn't really that good and all of that needs to be taken into consideration and just as you i'm saying uh, if you can if you're ready to work and you can postpone this round let's do the work if you're not ready if you you really set your mind in you know, everything's like paid for laid out just go ahead and do it but we need the groundwork in that's yeah. it that's you see what i what i hear here from what you're saying and i really praise you for that is this integrity which I feel similarly important to me in that I'm not taking someone's uh, kind of someone's own or someone's money just for the sake of it, if you like. I really want to, to, to set them for success. And I know that even like, oh, can I take some, some prenatals? Um, I'm not sure because we've learned a lot about, for example, iodine is a big question in all prenatals and if somebody's got thyroid antibodies it's still the jury's out whether they should be taken or how much iodine they can take without flaring the antibodies again coming back to the beginning of uh, immune system regulation here um but i do really like thank you for saying that the this integrity of looking after people and preparing them rather than just sort of doing something last minute mm -hmm. Really amazing. Can you tell us more about your training in fertility? Because this is what I think also makes a lot of difference when somebody is just an acupuncturist or just a herbalist and somebody who's fertility trained. And I know we went different routes, but I'd like to know more about your route. Yeah. And what you said there is so 
um, well, it's a conversation that we have a lot with my, with, you know, with colleagues. So there's, we all tend to graduate, you know, with a degree in acupuncture. And then lots of people go on to say that they, um, they treat fertility, which for me, it sits really uncomfortably because they haven't gone on to do any postgraduate training in it. So though yeah. I'm in a network called Fertility Support Trained, um, with, which was set up by someone called Nava Carmen. So she, what she wants to do is get acupuncturists and Chinese medicine practitioners to a really high level and standard of practice where we understand the Western and the Chinese together. So I've done a few diplomas now, um, one with a doctor called um, Trevor Wing, and he's based in London, and again, one with Nava. So I've done a few of these really intensive fertility trainings, and I'm always doing these online. Um, but again, what's been great about the pandemic is I've got access to a lot of the American practitioners now. So it's a case of always studying, always yeah. learning, always trying to keep up to date with all of this emerging um, knowledge now about immune factor infertility as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's just so important to not just graduate with your, your degree yeah. and your practice, but to go on and then do the extra training in fertility. Yes. I think that I am so much with you here because, well, first of all, I've gone a different route. I'm a Western trained, but my Western training went with a really amazing gynecology uh, specialist uh, in the clinic and then I did a training with Sandra Greenbank, which is uh, fertility nutrition support. And just as you say, I keep constantly training in that area. It's interesting you went American way, I went Australian. I'm learning from several Australian practitioners. Yes, but well, we both are, aren't we, with Moira as well. Yeah. And Moira as well. Moira is amazing, which is a special um, vaginal ecology training here. And the point I'm making is for me, life and death both require special training. I will not recommend anyone to see if, anyone if they're not specializing in cancer. If somebody's, if somebody's got cancer and I believe they should see somebody who's doing cancer every day, like seeing people with cancer all the time. Because I, I have done, when I was just touching the water where I want to go after my degree, I did special training in cancer and I realized how involved is that? But it didn't sit with me right. I didn't feel I'm the right person to be supporting people in that direction. And my soul search, extensive soul search, led me to fertility. And I'm very happy about it. And this is what I'm saying. Like, it is so specific. You can't just dip in and out. You have to be in it every day, all the time. Uh, the first thing I get in the morning is a couple of fertility Oxford, it's an Oxford um, fertility kind of magazines alert, the new mm -hmm. research is coming out. And that's my, my, that's my morning reading, honestly. And the thing that came up yesterday was that they found some new um, unmetallated areas in um, the sperm and that affects fertility and affects sperm quality. And this is again, like, we are like, ah, oh, we knew that we knew yeah the methylation is a big thing especially for for sperm and and the, all of that it's just like becomes your daily daily life and i think that's where why i'm praising you for doing this training and i've been looking into the uh the nervous training as well but i'm not trained as an acupuncture so that's yet to come probably i don't know yet i haven't made the best use of my five element training but i just love it so much so mm -hmm. it takes me to Okay, anything else? Do, is there any short courses you do? Any kind of webinars, any 
is there any introductory course? How yeah, I've got something called um, the Endofertility Explorer, which is a, okay. like a two-hour consultation where uh -huh. I go over all of the person's history, maybe signpost them for things, offer what I can in the way of my thoughts on their case. And that's okay. almost like a stepping the toe into the, the programme that I offer. So okay. th that's like an introductory um, approach to it. Okay. That's really, really nice. And I've been to your website and it looks amazing. And the webinar is great. So I think that everyone who comes to you will be in really, really safe hands. Oh, so thank I'm you. And I'm happy for this conversation. I'm really, really thrilled about it and the works that we both do in different ways. So, and uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners today? And I think it's time we wrap up. We're talking to all. <laughs> Just thank you for listening. And well, well, you know, for anyone podcast podcasts tend to be so much shorter but I really I'm really <laughs> we just get carried away because it's yes we live and breathe this subject yes exactly so, exactly we're bores there's those bores you know we're like fertility nerds oh, yeah fertility nerds yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so yeah that really I just thank you for listening if anyone has tuned all the way to the end of this yeah well, well, thank you, yes, again for coming uh, to the podcast. There will be all your um, kind of all your as equal social handles will be in the notes to this podcast. And um, wishing you really good, uh, you know, wishing you really well with your clients. And thank, thank you, Inna, and thanks for thank having you. me. Thank you. Yes, let me just.